0: Hello and welcome to the Cocktails and Conversation Podcast. I'm Dana Marie Rockmore, the founder of The Dinner Party Project and co-founder of The Welcome House. I'll be inviting intriguing guests over to my home to chat about some of my favorite things, cocktails, story, the Enneagram, and rest. Hey friends, thank you so much for continuing to listen in. I'm so excited for the podcast today. It is my first one um, as I am traveling this summer, so I'm out here in Los Angeles, Um, City of Lost Angels, and it's been a lot of fun, Uh, the weather weather is beautiful, and so thankful for so many things, and I was so uh, lucky to catch up with one of my uh, old friends, which I will get to in a minute, however, if you want to follow along and um, make the cocktail that we made today, it is one of my... I would say go-tos these days slash if you are into tiki drinks, this is a like literal classic. This is nothing like you may think like, Oh, I go to a bar and wow, how are they going to, they make these magical cocktails. But the reality is that you too can make them at home, which is pretty great. So a jungle bird is, uh, we started with an ounce and a half of treaty Oak reserve, Rum. Actually, they make a really beautiful aged rum. Very, very delish. So you're going to get a cocktail shaker and add one and a half ounces of rum. Then you're going to add an, also equal parts an ounce and a half of pineapple juice, which I will just tell you right now. Like I did not do this fresh, like I did not get a pineapple. I did not cut it up. I did not do the whole thing. All you have to do, is, um, I think I got Lake something, but it is just an organic pineapple juice. You can find it at most any grocery store, easy breezy, already ready. I mean, pineapple juice that is fresh, obviously always the best if that's always going to be a best option, but one is expensive and messy. So, um, get, get as, as freshly squeezed as you can, pineapple juice, an ounce and a half, and then you're going to um, add a half ounce of uh, lime juice, also fresh, squeeze is the best. Um, you're going to add um, three quarters of an ounce of Campari. And then if you choose, if you so choose, you can do it with or without. But I did with a, a half ounce of simple syrup. So uh all that you're going to shake up in a cocktail shaker and then pour into whatever glass you can do a rocks glass you can do i mean technically a big coupe you can do a collins glass any kind of vintage glassware whatever you want um over iced crushed ice is the best um but really whatever, whatever your preference is. And if you have fresh pineapple, you're going to caught, you're going to do a little garnish of fresh pineapple or a lemon wedge, which is what I did today. So that's it. A jungle bird, super, super easy and too easy to drink as well. But Uh, Hope you enjoy that. And then my guest today is John Strong, who is a dear friend of mine from Orlando, who now very recently lives in, in Los Angeles with his family. And it was so fun to catch up with him and all of his interesting stories. He is a storyteller literally by profession and then also a storyteller in his own life. So, Um, it will not disappoint and I hope you enjoy this episode of cocktails and conversation is brought to you by the dinner party project the dinner party project is all about connecting humans around the dinner table Right now, we are mostly based in Orlando, Florida. Whether it's joining seven strangers in an intimate setting around a dinner table or sitting in the street of Orange Avenue with 100 others watching flamethrowers, we love helping people feel connected to others and their city. We also offer private parties, so if you have a birthday, anniversary, team building dinner, or corporate event coming up, we can create a custom, memorable event that you and your guests won't soon forget. We also help brands connect with their consumers by exposing their product in an elevated way to their target demographic. So if you live in the Orlando area, haven't joined us yet, what are you waiting for? We can't wait to hear your story around the dinner table. For more information, you can visit us at thedinnerpartyproject.co. Hey, John. Hello. Hey. Welcome to the Cocktails and Conversation podcast. Hello. Hi. Cheers. Clink. Clink. Mm-hmm. Salud. It's nice to be with people again. Yeah. You know, face-to-face. Mm-hmm. Face, inside. Inside, mm-hmm. together. Comfortable, hopefully. Somewhat, As yes. Somewhat comfortable. I mean, are we ever really fully comfortable? Yeah. That's a deeper... That's another podcast. It's a good space. It's a good space, mm-hmm. yeah. So, this is my first podcast on the road as I'm traveling this summer. I'm here in... Los Angeles. Los Angeles. And we are up in Glendale?
1: Burbank. Oh, uh, it's one block into Glendale. I still call it Burbank because it's still got a Burbank feel.
0: Okay. Okay. So Burbank. Yeah. Where it, I feel like TV is done. A lot of TV is done.
1: Uh, a lot of movies is that, are done. A lot of movies are done. Yeah. And TV. Warner Brothers is here. Disney is here.
0: Right. I passed both of them mm-hmm. on the way here. Yeah. Yeah. So fun times. Yeah. So today we are drinking a jungle bird, mm-hmm. which I don't know if you've had before.
1: Uh, I, I've not heard the name before, Okay, um, but it's very tasty.
0: Mm-hmm. It is very tasty. It is a tea drink and it is, I just
1: chewed my ice, uh, into the mic.
0: You did. Ah, sorry. That is a pet peeve of my, like, I, I know, don't, I, I can't comp- I cannot comprehend how people chew their ice. It's fun. It's not, it's it, fulfilling, it,
1: but, but it goes against like podcasting
0: rules. <sighs> It goes against so many rules that Mm -hmm. we don't have enough time just to discuss here, Mm -hmm. but maybe a separate uh, uh, time.
1: All my ice is gone now, so no more, no more chewing. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I've chewed them all up before we did the interview.
0: We may have had some sips before the interview started, but that's good time (laughs) for everybody. (laughs) So, Jungle Bird is Treaty Oak uh, Rum, barrel aged rum pretty delicious Mm -hmm. and then pineapple juice gosh uh lime juice campari and a little tiny bit of simple syrup so it is
1: i know what pineapple juice is and i know what simple syrup is
0: you know the rest of them you know lime juice oh there you go Yes, lime rum
1: i don't really yes yes but um, i'm saying i don't really know what goes into cocktails i just drink them and i like them
0: fair enough yeah Yeah. As most people do. Yeah, absolutely. So I am curious if you were to have a cocktail just as a treat, um, to like, like, do you have also like a go-to drink that you like almost every time, you know, that's going to hit or that you. Yeah. uh,
1: So, you know, I'm from Orlando, just moved to LA nine months ago. Right. So my favorite place, uh, that I used to love to go to in Orlando was guest house. And uh, as well as every other, the two things that I would always get are know. yes, yes. <clears throat> the two things I would always get are a mezcal old fashioned.
0: Okay. Right.
1: So it's instead of whiskey, it's got mezcal. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's still got the smoothness of an old fashioned, but it's got a bite to it. Oh like, yeah, mezcal. So it's really yeah. nice. And then I would just always love the Army Navy, which is like uh, an alcoholic Capri Sun.
0: I have. No, I may not want to admit out loud, but I have gotten in trouble a few times it,
1: it where really I had to
0: make sure I could like wait it out. Totally. To, because they are delicious. And they pack a punch.
1: Yeah. I remember the first time I had an Army-Navy. Do you know what's in it? But uh, Tell me in a second. But first time I did an Army-Navy, it was like uh, the third drink. I was like, oh, this is great. I'm not even feeling anything. Oh, the third drink happened. And it was one of the first, cause I didn't actually start drinking until I was like 33.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. I just, cause I just in had, the year of our Lord, you said, I know. Yeah. Let's do this.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, there are various reasons. Uh, okay. one of them is my friend group just got really into cocktails. And so mm-hmm. we would just always go out over to guest house after work. Yeah. um, and then I realized, oh, I can hold my liquor very well. And I don't really enjoy getting drunk. I just like getting buzzed. So I just was, I was really good at keeping the equilibrium mm-hmm. of getting extremely buzzed and not getting drunk. But Army Navy was one of the first times I got drunk.
0: Messed up. And not
1: messed up. Well, I mean, I, I was walking to the bathroom. It was hard to walk straight. And uh, somehow I made it home. Let's say that I got an Uber Okay. I lived close, let's say. I lived close. You sometimes. did. But once I got home and I went to bed, it was spinning. The room was spinning. Mm-hmm. That's the only time that the room is spun for me. Because I again, I don't really enjoy um, going that over. Way. Yeah. I just like f- having a lot of fun, feeling really loose. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, thankfully, an angry. Uh, Drunk. I'm a. Uh, I have very few filters normally, <laughs> and and the alcohol just, ta- just takes yeah. off a few more. And so it's just a little more funny
0: stream of consciousness it at this is. point. Yes.
1: I, it's, it's yeah. really, I enjoyed that.
0: You enjoy that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you have a pretty high level of when it gets to that level of probably stream of consciousness. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: I will say during, um, sorry, am I allowed to talk this much on this podcast?
0: That's what we're here for. Uh, cool. I traveled um, literally to Los Angeles just for this, just
1: for this. Um, during COVID, um, I stopped drinking for I would say the first nine months of it before I moved out here, or maybe the first six months, because um, I tried making my own cocktails at home. I even tried you know buying cocktails from guest houses. Uh-huh. Yes, I lived in Orlando back then, but uh, I realized that I didn't enjoy drinking alone. Um, I, okay. I only like it socially. socially, and I like it because of the way. And I'm I'm a very open, honest person, but others maybe they need a little bit more lubricant. To have deeper conversations. So for me,
0: you're uh, already there. I
1: I am already there, but I enjoy cocktails because of the conversations, the deep conversations that can come out of them. Mm -hmm. And when I was drinking alone during COVID, I was like, "This is depressing. (laughs) I don't. I just feel tired, and I'm not talking to anyone." Fair enough. So I mostly stopped drinking during COVID for. Okay. I would say like. 80% 80% of COVID.
0: Fair enough. Yeah. W- would your wife drink with you?
1: Lynn is not a huge drinker. She'll like a, a Moscow mule every now and then. But, okay. Um, I don't really know why. Um, I think she's very, she's got a very sensitive body when it comes to like food and, and drinks. So okay. when she has a wine though, okay, I'll go. I know this is cocktails, but we had... She's gonna hate me for saying this. No, we had a, we had a gummy, uh, a marijuana gummy, mm-hmm. uh, New Year's 2019 into 2020. Okay, and it was so much fun um seeing her. Uh, you had a, you had a good ride. Yeah, because she's you know she's so quiet and, and composed, and yeah, she just couldn't stop laughing every time that she said a word. Like it would make her laugh, and and so wine or cocktails give a mini version of that when she gets to that. So she's to be careful.
0: Okay. Yeah. Fair enough.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's good to laugh.
1: It really is. It really
0: is so healing mm. and cathartic to share moments like that with people and let it somehow out of your system. Mm. Yeah. It's so wonderful.
1: And I often cough when I laugh. Like you, you laugh so hard. And during COVID. Yeah. You know,
0: it's
1: like you're trying to hold back from, even if you're outside. Because I would, oh, right. yeah, during COVID, like I still hang out with friends outside. Mm-hmm. Successfully, I, I don't think I ever caught COVID. Um, well, maybe. We'll see, I mean, We'll see. It, I don't know. Sure. It, it, it was ne- it would never have been a thing where I go, oh, that's COVID, and laugh it for a day. I don't know. But, um, yeah, even just laughing outside, it's like, because I get all like, huh, 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 you know, because you laugh so hard, mm-hmm. and you can't cough during COVID, and you know, look <clears> really So, it was an interesting thing the way that um, COVID, we don't have to go into COVID. Let's, let's say out of COVID but I'm just saying it wasn't Have you ever
0: laughed so hard that you almost threw up? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean I, I've laughed hard enough. You know when you just laugh too much where your face is hurting? Yeah. And, or when you can't breathe anymore. Mm-hmm. That's happened. Um, yeah. That's rare. Uh, and a little unenjoyable. It's almost like laughing normally is like getting buzzed. Uh, and then laughing that part is like getting drunk. You've gone too far, you know?
0: Yeah. But every once in a while, you got to go over the edge. Yeah. I read, um, I don't know if you know who Colin Jost is. He's yeah. the head writer of SNL.
1: Mary Scarlett.
0: Yeah. No big deal. Okay. So he wrote a book called a very punchable face. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I read it in one day. I laughed so hard at that book, just me in my hammock by myself. I was laughing out loud until one I was crying and then two, I laughed so hard that I thought I was gonna throw up a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it hurts. It hurts. Yeah. It was like <laughs>
0: too great laughter. It was too much laughter. And it brought me so much joy. Mm-hmm. And it was like, this is the the it, it, like, that's why I like doing this podcast. I love stories. I love people sharing. I love embarrassing things. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I love drinking, obviously. But uh, we all have really great... We should have really great life stories. Mm-hmm. When you, like, arrive to a city and then your Airbnb cancels and you have no place to stay for the night. Okay, great. Okay, so then <laughs> you got to figure it out. Yeah. And just, yeah, I mean, anyway, so he was... He was a really good read, surprisingly. Not surprisingly, but I felt like he's always felt like pretty plain vanilla. He's dry.
1: Very dry. Very
0: dry. Yeah. Um, obviously incredibly smart. Yeah. But then listening or reading his stories was brought me to a new I appreciation would, I, of him. I would
1: find that surprising because I feel the same way. He's like, it's like, he's funny. He's funny. He's funny. But yeah. that's cool that his book is like hilarious.
0: Hilarious. I cool. think you would enjoy it. So we get
1: it. to see what Scarlet sees in him.
0: You would. He talks about six different times that he has pooped his pants as an adult. Oh, dear God. And I lost it. Yeah. Yes.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I could not keep myself together. <laughs> so I highly recommend. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll do the audiobook. I'm sure he doesn't need me to endorse him, yeah. but I will gladly do so. Mm-hmm. Um... Okay, so I think in our Army Navy, because I've made them mm-hmm. on my own, and so I'm Ooh, trying to think, yeah. yeah, you can make them. They're so good. i always wondered. Okay, so two things. One, I think it's made, I know it's made of gin, orgeat, um, lemon juice, and bitters. I think that that's the total recipe. Mm-hmm. I have made them on my own several times, made them for other people. They are one, delicious. Two, the guest house somehow makes them. They have their own, I don't know what it is, but it's different and it's more delicious. Yeah. They put the cherry in there. Obviously, I get it. But there's some, I don't know if it's somebody making it for you or they have some kind of magic touch, but that Army Navy is Danger Zone. It's different. Zone. It's different. Okay. Yeah, like I make it at home and I've made it for other people and it's great. But. They kind of have some kind of like special yeah. touch on it. And many, many people have really enjoyed many, many army navies. Mm-hmm. Cause that is my go-to drink
1: at the many guest house have been ruined.
0: Mine is the army Navy. on the list. I mean, hopefully it's not there yet, but <laughs> 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 right. Um, so speaking of stories, mm-hmm. one of the things that I love chatting with interesting people about is their interesting stories. I'm interesting. So yeah, here we are. <laughs> uh i would love to hear some of your interesting stories we don't have time for all of them because we don't have time for you know 37 years of stories but we'll try to you can narrow and give us a select um but i would love to know where you landed in the universe in the world and we don't get to choose that i believe and we just are plopped down and then from there we're all figuring it out Mm -hmm. and it is usually a cluster but here we are So, what was your family of origin like? Do you have siblings? What was like the early like zero to ten? What were like some of those like years feeling like Uh, for you? uh,
1: I've been thinking about this a lot because I'm I'm, I'm a filmmaker, and I want to make a film kind of about my family of origin, as I would say, but like kind of like three generations—my grandparents. My parents. Oh, this sounds like it's gonna be a long story. I'm gonna really shrink it down. Okay. <clears throat> so, pretty much, uh, my mom's from Canada. And my dad's from Colombia. Right. So I'm actually a firstborn American. Welcome. Right. And then they both left left their cultures, Canada, Colombia, and came to Orlando, a cultural culture culturalist place. Okay. Um. And so I kind of grew up lacking any roots. Um, to my history, my family history, to who I am, um, and always resonated um, with... Like, I'm white, but I never resonated... Like, I have friends who... Um, they, they have long histories in America, and they, they have a close kinship with their relatives who lived 300 years ago, 200 years ago, whatever. And I don't have that. So I, I never... <clears throat> Really resonated with family, actually, in a way. Um, I was always, I grew up, my mom was a single mom. My dad moved out when I was four. Uh, And then I just kind of, you know, I guess in the 80s they would call it a latchkey kid. Uh huh. Um, But I didn't, for me, it was just the way that I grew up. You know, I didn't know any better. I didn't have any brothers, sisters.
0: Oh, you're the only child? I am.
1: Does it make a lot of sense now? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think I, maybe somewhere in the deep recesses in my mind, I already knew that, but that makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. So, sorry, let me get this cough out. Okay. Okay, we're good. So, um, so yeah, probably, you know, I remember the first time when I really felt, my mom, my mom would hate hearing this. I've told her this. She hates hearing. The first time I really felt a sense of family was probably when I was 15 years old. Um, It's a long time. It's a long time. And I was at my friend's house and I would go there after school. And he had, I was like my best friend and his two siblings and their mom and dad and their mom taught um, drama at our school and their dad taught band. So it was like an artistic family. And I would go there every day after school because my mom was working until like seven. Right. And I just felt like I was part of their family. And I remember loving that feeling, not knowing that I needed it. You know, I just, I just, I just, probably for those 15 years compensated through, you know, mattering through being talented Mm. and by watching movies and listening to music and trying to fall in love, you know, as a sixth grader, um,
0: that was on like your falling in love was on your agenda in sixth grade.
1: Yeah. I've always been like a fairly healthy, hopeless romantic, you know, you know, and when you're young, it's like very cute. And it's like, you watch like Romeo and Juliet, Moulin Rouge, and you've got mail, and you're like, "I want that life." And then once you're in college or later, you start going, "Oh, I think I'm codependent. Uh, I, I think I need someone to love me in order for me to feel, feel whole." Mm. Um, I always feel empty. I always feel bad about myself if unless someone. On the, outs- on the outside can say they love me Whoa. um but yes i mean like from a very early age i was always into like romantic comedies and and there's good sides to that too that uh, now exists to me that i've now that i've healed a lot but sure, am i answering your family of origin story yes um but how was your
0: relationship with your mom
1: it's better a- again i'm honest and okay so uh, yes it <laughs> We had a very good relationship, then then it got bad once I got older, mm-hmm. um, and then I cut her off actually for six months, about three years ago, because I just needed space, because mm-hmm. it was just being her for 18 years, and it was, I, I think I lost my identity during that time, and so it was kind of at this older age reclaiming my identity, and then it was like several years of like trying to reconnect, you know, I have children, so she's still seeing the kids, but we're in Orlando. Yeah. Um, and, but we're always on edge around each other. Right. And then about probably four months ago, I kind of finally said, Hey, uh, I'm willing to let you in again. And, uh, I'm sorry. I, 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 I'm so glad I did this to you and I'm so sorry for how much it hurt you. Mm -hmm. I I needed to do it. I needed to set up boundaries. I, I know it killed you. So I'm sorry for that not sorry that I did it. And now actually our relationship is as good as it was, you know, back when we thought everything was good. Cause what I, I'm going too deep. I'm sorry. Just stop me. But I, we had a great relationship growing up, but it was slightly based on me being a little dishonest about my own, my own boundaries.
0: Mm.
1: Right. So now we have a great relationship again mm-hmm. with boundaries mm-hmm. and it just took kind of breaking the bone and going through physical therapy. Um, and then, you know, just being honest. Sure. Oh, I'm, too, I'm too honest. I'm sorry. Okay. That's why I'm here. Okay.
0: So how about, was your dad in the picture, though?
1: Like yeah, so... Wise? Um, probably from zero till... I don't... I have, like, two or three memories of him before. Um, he left. One was him, like, kicking the door in. Uh, when, and to then, your room? Yeah, when I was four, and my mom was like, we're getting divorced, and then they got divorced. Um, and... Real life. Yeah, and then um, I would see him maybe once a year, once every two years until about...
0: He was in Orlando?
1: No, then he moved to, like, Tampa and Virginia and North Carolina and all these places. And then in sixth grade, he moved back to Cirrus... Cirrus, Clearwater. And then sixth grade through seventh grade, he lived there. Then eighth grade, he moved to Orlando to be close to me, Um, which I'm sure he had great intentions for that. And that led to just more uh, hitting and anger and abuse, et cetera. Right. Um, which was just normal to me, you know? Um, and I dealt with that. But did you
0: see that, like that family that you were kind of like a part of, like that maybe was that normal in their family?
1: For my dad? No. Oh, you mean the family that I would, that, um, no. Um, I mean, every family is screwed up.
0: You know, I've, I've become,
1: I've reconnected with one of the people from that family. And, um, and even, them at our, our age kind of looking back and going, Oh, there was a little unhealth there. Every family has some unhealth, right?
0: percent. Um,
1: but no, that, that family, man, part of the things that I loved about that family is, uh, uh, and I don't know how healthy it was, but I don't really care. It was just so much fun. They would call their parents by their first name.
0: Okay. Um,
1: and And they would curse in front of their parents, you know, age 15. Oh, never. And I just thought it was the funniest thing because it was like, it was like a troop of actors, this family. And they would go, you know, son of a bitch, Lisa, you know, just like, you know, like to their mom. But it was, it was jokey. It wasn't like cursing. In anger, you know, it was it was like, like everyone was like, somebody. They were all characters in a play, almost, right. and and they would call their parents by the first name. I just thought it was so funny. I will never let my children call me by my, my, my first name. My once, my first son uh, Theo has called, tried to call me John, and I'm like, No, I'm, I'm Daddy, I'm Daddy. Um, but you know, when you're a kid, it's like so funny. But no, my, my they they didn't have any of that sort of type of abuse. And then the way that I dealt with my dad's abuse was just to make a joke out of it. And so I made my, my dad a character in the stories that I would tell my friends. That's, you know, how I dealt, um, I would mythologize my life story, my mm-hmm. pain into a narrative structure with it. that was entertaining mm-hmm. as opposed to traumatizing, you know, uh, and never had to really deal with the trauma until I got older, you know? Sure. But so it was a really, I will say it was a really good cope mechanism to turn pain into stories. Um, mechanisms are really good to help us survive until they start to kill us later. Right. But while they're helping us survive, they are they're fun.
0: <laughs> they're awesome. They're yeah, awesome. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. they're keeping us alive. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's,
1: it's a blessed thing. It's a blessed act. Right. That God, I would say, put that into our psychology to help us cope. Um, but at some point they're a ticking time bomb. Mm
0: hmm. They will only serve us for so long until they become our master. Yeah. And then that's, so there's so many different right avenues of coping, whether it's humor, drugs, alcohol, sex, mm-hmm. whatever, but then they can, they will dominate in the end. Mm-hmm. if We
1: don't
0: limit their power over us because all of those things are great. Everything's fun. Everything's fun. <laughs> <laughs> right? Until it's not fun anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how did that leave you like showing up, like, like what, 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 who was John in like middle school, high school? Like, how were you showing that. up in the world?
1: I was. I was, I was hungry for love and I, I was the class clown.
0: You were in, you went to school in Orlando? Yeah. Yes. I grew up in
1: Orlando the whole time. Right. I only moved away nine months ago. Wow.
0: For the first time.
1: I never went to college outside of Orlando. Right. So for me, this is like a huge, beautiful (coughs) moment of like, like we moved away and Lynn was like, I miss my parents so much. You know, I want to go back. And I'm like, I could probably stay away for a couple years. Probably. I mean, I miss my parents, but I'm okay. Yeah. Um, no, but middle school and high school. Yeah. I was pure class clown. Um,
0: Did you get in trouble? Was your mom cool with it? With what? Like you being a jokester or like you, like not being serious about
1: school. Yeah. Or again, I got C's and D's right? throughout all of How did you
0: graduate?
1: I don't know. I mean, not really. Halfway through, I focused on social life and arts. So I was really into theater and choir and everything like that. So I thrived in those places. And then, yeah, I just, I would always, it's awful. I would, I was good at, getting, I'm, I'm an easily liked person. And so with classes that I was so failing, say some. Uh, I'm at the very least, I'm immediately easily likable. And then once you get to know me, you're like, well, it's a mixed bag. Um, <clears throat> but you know, I am, I, I'm likable and I can play up the likableness. And so I would manipulate some of my teachers. I feel really bad, oh. where I would, I would be like, I'm, I'm so sorry, I, I, I need to get I need to pass this class. Like, fantastic, and then they would, yes. and, help me, you know, and because they felt for me, but like, they don't realize I'm doing this in every class and I'm not even sure I was honest with myself that I was so manipulative, you know, like, I think I've stopped doing a lot of these things I've stopped doing. Once I, you know, getting married and having kids, especially once I had kids, like all my coping mechanisms stopped working and they all showed their face for like this ugly (laughs) thing that could only hurt my children. And so even, you know, you and I haven't really hung out probably since 2017 um, when we used to go to church together. Mm -hmm. And um, even since then, like I was telling you yesterday, like it's, I'm I'm, I'm just much, I don't hurt people. Like I I was always like a mixed bag of like, I'm I'm a fun, awesome guy who's like honest and like he makes me uncomfortable and and why is he doing that uh-huh you know and it that that was part of those coping mechanisms of mm-hmm. how i felt in control of mm-hmm. situations and and then once i had kids well i don't want to do that to them mm-hmm. not only because it's me but like really because i don't want to am i allowed to curse here yeah i don't fuck them up uh-huh. like i know what what was passed on to me accidentally by my mom and very blatantly by my dad
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um yeah, man. Like that—that that shit sticks to you mm-hmm. for you know. I'm 37, and I'm only now at a place where I feel like I'm living my pure personality, and not my pure personality mixed with um, the baggage that was given to me. And I've—I also am someone who like I'm looking for responsibility. My parents gave me this baggage, and then I ran with it. Mm-hmm. Right at some point, it then becomes my you responsibility. Mm-hmm. Right, yep. so. Um,
0: You have to now take care of the shit that you have. Yeah. Right. That has been placed on you. Yes. And if you don't want to perpetuate it.
1: And having children is, you're going to, that's the main way you perpetuate, really. So, okay, back to middle school, though. Yeah, I was, class plan, I never really got in trouble for it, though, because I was always really likable. Oh, okay. No, I was like, I was, and always very, um, uh, non-threatening, was always. On the outside i don't you know again a lot of the stuff i've been dealing with the last five years is realizing how deeply angry i am mm-hmm. underneath the smile and the fun is a lot of anger that was never dealt with and so you know as a kid this class clown always coming off as un- non-threatening because i want to be liked want to be loved by women and friends and and like it's this cloud face it's like the smiley face the drama mask you know But on the, on the inside is the sad face and and an angry face. Mm -hmm. And so underneath all my fun is, you know, I'm going to screw with you. (laughs) And that's really the way that my psychology worked itself out of what my mom, my mom was loving me so well, but with everything that she gave me, that wasn't good. And then what my dad did, I wanted to be a fun loving person. And then it would just come out underneath the fun loving with like,
0: Animal. Jab, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna like jab, jab you, a
1: and but I'm, I'm the smiley face. So you're gonna right. like me still, and you don't even realize what happened. You know, well, yeah. You realize something happened, but you're like, but he's likable, uh-huh. you know. And and it depends on the person, of course. Right. um So, so yeah. But class clown. I know this is a lot. I'm so sorry for listeners. Um, but um, yeah. And I had a great time. I I loved um, I loved middle school and high school. Okay. Yeah.
0: So you made it through high school.
1: More than made it through, I think. Yeah. Kind of thrived. I, okay. But not. Where did you go to high school? I went to uh, Orangewood Christian School, ninth and tenth grade. Okay. And then 11th and 12th Lake Howell High School. Okay. Um, didn't thrive um, academically, just thrived uh, socially Emotionally. And, and, and in the arts, really. Like right. I, I found myself. Okay. Yeah.
0: Cool. Um, so therein, after our kind of childhood years we forge our way into the world and as adults we can somewhat choose into who we want to become Mm -hmm. and so what was your journey into becoming like you made the path into the creative obviously world but like what was that and then how did you know that you wanted to end up being a filmmaker
1: I want to be in film since I was age four okay um I thought it was as an actor because you know watching Tom Cruise, um, Top Gun. Yeah, man. Tom Cruise is like a father figure. Tom Hanks is a father figure. Mel Gibson was a father figure, and it's fun to see them slowly let you down like real father figures. <laughs> um, but I mean, Tom Tom Cruise could do the worst thing imaginable, and he, like I would I would uh, want him to go to jail if he did that. But also, he'll always be my dad.
0: Really? Right, that's, how, that's
1: how I feel about Tom Cruise. Like
0: really? Yeah. He he
1: he got imprinted onto me like that deeply, like a duckling, like.
0: He is my dad. You More know, than my actual dad. Do you know that I think that he's 58? Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. I, I probably look older than he does at this point.
0: <laughs> I saw him. I watched a little bit of Wimbledon yesterday. It was the men's oh, finals. Oh, yeah. He was
1: with the, the director.
0: He... I don't know who he was sitting with. McCory, but-
1: uh, the guy who directed the last three mission impossible films.
0: Okay. Anyway, they panned to him at the Wimbledon yesterday morning. Mm. Um, And it was like Tom Cruise. And I was like, Tom Cruise? Like... He's almost sixty. Yeah, he still looks like Top Gun. I
1: know, I know. Like, he's done well with his life.
0: Yeah, but he something is. Uh, yeah,
1: uh, he, you know he's what? He's taking something. There, with with what? With like uh, like plastic surgery type stuff, or
0: or skincare, or something.
1: He's doing something. For he's doing sure. something. Yeah, yeah. Um, I love the man. I love him. Okay. Uh, but, Even though he's
0: into Scientology.
1: Yeah, and uh,
0: Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs.
1: You know, it's like I said, like it's he,
0: like, he could do anything. It to, doesn't matter
1: when when he when, when you idolize somebody. Yeah, well, Go it's ahead. not even idolization. It's literally he imprinted as my dad. I'm not even. I watched uh, Far and Away, um, a film that he did in 1992 with Nicole Kidman.
0: Uh-huh.
1: It was their first film they did after they fell in love and they got married. Um, like, I didn't know the story.
0: Oh, bad. yeah. I'm
1: sorry, and uh, and I watched it. Uh, this is like during COVID. And I'm not kidding you. It felt like I was watching old movies of my father. Like, I I, I so wanted to... I became a, a six-year-old boy mm-hmm. looking up to my dad and wanting to be him. Like, that's what he did to me. Okay. By watching him in films growing up and having not a good father figure. Right. Only living with a mom for about 10 years. You know, he, I just... My psyche grabbed onto Tom Cruise because he was... Uh, you know, bef- this is before the couch... Like the male What he was... No, he was a man fucking cared and he tried and he pushed through like all the shit that got in his way
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he was a good man you know he 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 cared in the right way it wasn't this you know toxic masculinity stuff and if it was it was very very slight but it was he was a good man who wanted to do good things for the woman he loved okay right i, I, <laughs> <laughs> I know there's a lot but i'm telling you that's that, that's what Clutch I, my
0: pearls Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's what I wanted to be. You know, that's why I was looking up to. Okay. okay so, um, but age four, well, I might have started age four. Oh, uh, how to I be a director? Yeah. So, yeah I, I wanted to be an actor and then it became like, I was going to be on Broadway and on musicals and, and that was in middle school and high school. And then I saw the film Magnolia.
0: Right. Um,
1: which has Tom Cruise in sure. it. Sure. Um, and it's a Tom Cruise who's falling apart. Right. Which I resonate with as well. Uh, Tom Cruise, whose mask is coming off and deep anger and resentment underneath is coming
0: up. Did that unravel for you, his image of him?
1: No. I mean, it, the, when he was on the Oprah couch. I mean, I, I definitely went uh, during the Scientology days Phase. of like 05, 06. I mean, he's still a Scientologist, but when he was like really, you know, I would say the darkness of that of that. Uh, kind of like showed itself. Um, yeah, I was like, I wasn't anti Tom, but I was very anti Scientology. Still am, but I'm not anti Scientologists. Right? Okay. You know, I think I'm not anti humans. Yeah, exactly. I can be against an organization without being against the people. Um, So yeah, Magnolia, I saw that in theaters and I was like, oh, I'm going to be a director. And it was just like, and so then everything out after that became, that was in the year 2000. It was like, okay, I'm going to direct. Um, and then let me, let me see how I can really shorten this up um, because it becomes very convoluted, more convoluted than everything else I've already said. Um, can you pin... What is your question a little bit sharper? Like, what, what are you trying to get at here?
0: Um, just how I, usually how it's I'd... just the journey of like, how did you so, say like, I wanted to be this and then you set out to do it? Because like a lot of people don't have...
1: Okay. Okay. I think, I think it's, um, a That's little bit a of direction. naivete. Oh, sure. Um, and my friends would call it cocky naivete is what I have. Okay. Where we, uh, will go into something, uh, as if there's no way we can't fail knowing nothing about it. Um, so once That's I got married, plan. yeah. So let's fast forward just a bit to like when I got married 10 years ago, I'm 27 and, um, <clears throat> yeah, I just started this business knowing nothing about how to run a business. You know, I have this great gift, I would say, a talent of emotion. Um, And I don't know how to make money at it. So then my friends and I just started a business and called Strong Films. My name's John Strong. And, and wow, was it awful. It was such a bad experience. Um, And over the last 10 years, um, I did great things. I did, a film for, uh, Arnold Palmer hospital, Did multiple films for them, but one that got like 200 million views, like went genuinely viral organically. It played on the today show on Thanksgiving morning. Uh, I made a feature film documentary that was on Netflix. Um, I did, you know, some national spots for UCF and it was like the most miserable decade of my life. Hmm. You know, I, I, thankfully during this miserable decade was able to do things creatively that somewhat we going at what I wanted to do my whole life. But
0: could you see yourself in that moment being like, I am doing things that I wanted to do that I, I set out times, to do.
1: Yeah. But there's so much space in between those times, mm-hmm. you know, like I remember I, cause so much of what I did the last decade was documentaries and I didn't get into this to do documentaries. I'm just really good at it. And it's something that I enjoy, but I don't like that. It's the main thing. Right so then when i did uh, the first ucf commercial which was with actors and like scripted and we had a five-day shoot to do like seven scenes or something it was just like amazing i was on cloud nine it was like that was in 2017 it, in the midst of all this depression mm-hmm. of last decade it was some of the most joyful days i've ever had
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I remember at the end of the the last day shooting i was just God, like, this is it. This is what I'm made to do. And I went to, um, uh, what's that burger place, uh, next to guest house. It's like burger place. Yeah. It's like, it's not, uh, uh, we'll skip that, but, uh, it's, it's not right next to guest house. It's closer to Mills. Okay. It's kind of hipster burger place. I love it. I can't remember the name right now for some reason. Okay. Anyway, um, I went there after filming and I sat there and I realized that, I would not be directing something like that for a very long time.
0: Hmm.
1: Like th- this was a three day stretch where I got my dream and now I'm back to reality where I sit in front of a computer and edit for most of my day. And it was just such a depressing thought. So I have these heights, like the 200 million view video, uh, another video that I did for Campus Crusade for Christ that I really love. Um, uh, you know, all these things that every couple of years are like these spikes Bikes. in my career. and and actually made an impact, you know, like that's the, that's the cool thing for me is like to make art that impacts people. Mm-hmm. Um, but all the in-between time are, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just so painful, like and in the in-between time was filled with, you know, dealing, sorry, dealing with all this stuff of like what I was going through personally, becoming a father and realizing I have all these coping mechanisms, that's the at-home stuff. Then you have the at-work stuff, which was like 2010 to 2015, I brought home, I think like 15 grand a year during that time. Right. And so like it was, and I was, you know, doing great work and I was like, it was very painful and I had, um, you know, some very painful and this is not necessarily all their fault. I would, I'll claim like 60% responsibility, just like the people that I, that I were not business partners. We just had very pained relationships Mm -hmm. running a business together Mm -hmm. when we're doing so poorly financially and we have so many personality differences and we're in survival mode. We're like in the desert, clawing at each other, trying to survive. And get
0: get a product out.
1: Yeah. And then we get in front of a client, we're acting like we're best friends and we're having uh, it. We're just such a good team. We're just like, you know, we do this all the time. You can trust us. We go back and say, what the fuck are you doing? You know, just yelling at each other. and. Yeah, man, it was just a very hard decade, but I'll say like how I made it, you know, during that decade. So I would say that t- at the end of 2012, early 2013, I lost the passion for film.
0: Wow. Yeah. It's pretty early on.
1: Well, early on in, 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 of the decade, but at that point I was 30. So, I mean, I still had gone through 30 years of having this passion. Uh-huh. Um, but And I didn't know that I would then go through many more years of pain. (laughs) But yeah, early 2013, I like, I, I lost the passion for it and, but still had the gifting. Right. And my, I'd done good work already so that now I have a somewhat of a career, so I'm going to keep doing it. And as I do the things, as I do a good work, I'm happy in that moment. But the thing that originally drove me back when I was four, back when I was 12, back Mm -hmm. when I was 18, which was I will get love from people by making great art, that went away. I no longer, um, and, and at the end of 2012, I made a video, and I, instead of filling me up, it made me feel empty. And, and then I had to deal with the fact that, oh, I've only been doing this to get love from people and to be glorified by people. And I wanted to live forever through my art. I wanted to be thought of as like this God, in a way, of, of, and that everyone would love me, finally. And then I made this video actually like for Camp Spirit of Christ, like about Jesus. And I felt completely empty because I felt like I had used Jesus to like make myself aggrandized. Right. Yikes. And, and then I got the sense like YouTube won't exist in a thousand years and everything I make will turn to dust.
0: Oh, whoa. Yeah. You're going downtown. Yeah. And so
1: so it was like a huge identity, um, Atomic bomb. My whole identity was a like up to that point, which would like was 28. Wow. My entire identity was about gaining love mm-hmm. by being the best emotional, talented director there was. And then suddenly, oh no, this is all empty. It will fade away. No one will. No one will remember Martin Scorsese in. A thousand years right if assuming that even people have history books about something do will get burned down in some you know library of alexandria pick thing so yeah man so um and then in 2014 god told me everything you do will turn to dust but you're still called to do it you're still called to create uh-huh. Right, it's, it's, it's worth it. So th- then, you know, from 2014 on, and I would say it just ended, you know, a couple months ago or even last week. It's been like I've ended this big chapter of my life mm-hmm. has been regaining purpose, a new purpose that I have this talent. I have an ability to impact people and I would say change their lives in, in terms of redirecting them to who they are, their identity, what the purpose of their life is, um, and, and discovering my own but so much of it was based in, um, manipulating people to love me. And I have this talent and now eight years later on that journey, I finally have, I could, I could die tomorrow and I'm cool. I don't need to accomplish anything in film. Mm -hmm. And I really want to accomplish some really cool things. And it's, it's pure now, right? Like it's no longer about manipulation. It's no, I want, I want to help people feel, Connect to their humanity, you know. Connect to themselves for the first time in years, mm. and it's it's not about needing to be remembered anymore. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Quite a story. <laughs> Quite the journey. Yeah. Uh, so we were talking a little bit yesterday of I'm always fascinated by I'm fascinated by film, but. Um, it's just, it's interesting. We'll get, but eights have sometimes a problem connecting to their emotions. Mm-hmm. So film and music helps me do that yeah. a lot. Um, so I'm always interested to like, what do you like kind of like, maybe if you could just give us a real quick snapshot on like, what are your inspirations for films? Like, what are the type of films? Like you're here in LA, you're starting afresh. Um, you're supposed to be here, you're here. And then um, working towards whatever will come, come what may, Mm -hmm. but what would be like your dream, like project scenario?
1: You just said come what may, which is a song from Moulin Rouge. I know. Um, and that's one of my favorite films. I know. (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, my favorite films are Magnolia, Moulin Rouge, um, I love children of men. A recent film that I really loved was, uh, the peanut butter Falcon. Um, yeah, I I love things that just feel so human and emotional, Mm. but also fun and, and, little over the top um yeah uh and then music wise i love like safjan stevens i mean i am at that age where and i think it happened when i had kids my musical tastes are now frozen <laughs> time. so i really like and i it also uh-huh. it does feel like in 2015 it, like music got worse but it's also when i had kids so like i can't say that it was because of that um but yeah i'm a little frozen in like uh bright mm-hmm. eyes arcane fire Sufjan, like very indie kind of like the days when I had all the freedom in the world to listen to music all the time. And that's a little probably like, time spent is probably a lot of it too. Hmm. That, you know, when you get married, you have kids, you have less time to spend with music um, and spend with movies. Mm-hmm. And so you get a little more frozen in time with the moments where you could waste time. You know, back when I was, before I was married, I could just waste all the time in the world and it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still
0: in that world and it's
1: so beautiful. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, uh, every now and then I get to experience it when I go out of town or something and I'm like, Oh, this is glorious. I can just, and I think wasting time is a beautiful thing. I think, I think it's a, people talk about it like a bad thing. I think wasting time is, is from God. I really do. I think we find out who we are by wasting time. That's what we tell we make our best friends is by wasting time. So absolutely. But yeah, those are my influences would be Paul Thomas Anderson, Alfonso Cuaron, Baz Luhrmann. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So we will just, we'll be here with bated breath until some film pops up with your name on it. And then it'll be interesting to see what, what what you produce mm-hmm. and what comes and all the stories and the reality of being in this business probably feels like this is the perfect place to be. You know, if you're gonna make it a run for it, then why not go big or go home?
1: We talk about family and how I've had very little connection to family. And honestly, and you know, learning how to be a family myself since I had no connection to it. Sure. But when I moved here, it was literally the first time in my life that I felt like I was home. Hmm. It really, day oh. one, it felt like home. And it wasn't just this place I moved into, it was just the city. I was like.
0: And you moved during a pandemic for crying out loud. And,
1: um, but I got sort of like fairy tale LA because all like the sin was hibernating. Like no one could go out and just like do crazy shit and the traffic was gone. Uh-huh. So it was kind of like, yeah, i was just go mountain climbing a lot or. Right. Wait, not mountain I'm climbing. I'm, I'm not like hiking. Climbing, hiking, maybe. hiking. I'm not like climbing the sides of mountains. <laughs> right. um, but yeah, I mean, it was just, it was great. But yeah, I mean, I moved here, and it was just like, it was almost like my whole, and I felt like this in Orlando. I had a very hard time in Orlando. Um, I loved it for the people. I made mean, such good friends there. Some of my, you know, best, oh. they'll stay with me my whole life.
0: People are there's a lot of golden people there. Yes. yes. But
1: I'll be a little offensive for a second. Like the way I talk about Orlando is like it's spaghetti without sauce. Right. So it's, it's a place that can fill your, your, your stomach, Uh but it's a little tasteless. Right. And then the people are the sauce. Mm -hmm. So that, that was my experience with Orlando was, it was a place that was a little bland. Um, it's not really, there's no real culture there. There's little pockets obviously that are are coming up the last like five, 10 years that I enjoyed like guest house, right? The strand, the strand is a burger place by the way. Uh,
0: that is what you call the burger place?
1: But I only eat the you burger had
0: there. a burger there.
1: I only eat a burger there. Yeah. I see now. Yes, yes, the this
0: Lanka is gore- wonderful, beautiful. Like in my mind, I wouldn't categorize it as a burger place.
1: I only get the burger. Okay. Yeah, it's great. I love the burger. Their
0: salmon is incredible. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that makes so much more sense because I was like...
1: No, I went to the Strand after that shoot and was. Or lit. a burger, yes, it's
0: not a burger place.
1: Yeah, sorry. No, <laughs> sorry. Um, okay. um,
0: I digress.
1: But where was I? I Forget what I was saying.
0: Completely. You think that Orlando is? Oh, um, so it was tasteless.
1: It was, yes, it has no no taste, no flavor. But the people, honestly, are just like the best. Like, and so they brought. But all they're of
0: also that. bringing flavor to the city. You can't say like I'm, the Brendan O'Connors and the Eddie Morton's and the yeah. people that are doing great stuff in the city is bringing,
1: bringing, they're, they're all great. Uh, and it, it, this might have something to do with, you know, how I never felt like I had a family, right? I never, I never felt at home my entire life. Um, and then when I moved here, it was almost like, and this is like, I feel like a cliche, like, uh, illustration, but it felt like I was a fish my whole life. And suddenly I was in water being here. You know, I don't, I don't, and I don't know why. And Orla- the thing is, Orlando can be great for a lot of people. Sure. Um, My experience of it was one in which I felt stuck, mm-hmm. um, and you know, one in which it felt like I had graduated but hadn't moved out. You know what I mean?
0: I do. That's I that was my
1: experience. Uh huh. Um, but I, I think that Orlando can be a beautiful place. I I'm now that I've left, especially uh-huh. like going back. It's like, oh, I, I do love this place. Good. Okay. Yeah.
0: I understand that. I mean, I can understand also living in a place for your entire life. So I've never experienced saying. that. That's what I'm saying. I've lived saying. in so many places. Yeah. So living somewhere your entire being, and yeah. then having space from that. Yeah. Like I could understand being like, yeah, of course I want to get out of here. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's I think a somewhat natural coming of age thing is like, I need to shed this and recreate my own identity somewhere totally brand new. Mm -hmm. I've done that, so that makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you, Dana. (laughs) That's why I'm here. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you for all the things that you've done in Orlando. And um, in Orlando, I feel like there's, there's so many people, like you included, that have really made Orlando what it is. Mm -hmm. And they do bring, I think the flavor to Orlando city Mm -hmm. and have invested. We're we're no LA. We're no Chicago. We're no New York. Like, I don't think that we have any delusion of grandeur in that way. But I think that for the city that it is, it has been cool to see it grow and to see some beautiful things and people doing great work. Right. And so Mm -hmm. even like in our time at conduit, yeah, I'm like there's so many that was badass cool. people here mm-hmm. doing really cool things, and I—that's
1: where my cocktail adventure started was conduit. When? Oh, it was like Chris Toll and and uh, James Rainer. We would every just doing
0: cocktails there. No, we just
1: there? go no after work every day. We just go right. and get a cocktail at guest house.
0: Got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. I did
1: that, some happy
0: hours there with some.
1: That's right. Drinks, yeah.
0: That was way long time ago. That was ago. a lot of
1: fun, man. That was 2016. I'm saying that was like, and remember that the yeah. last, said like the last four or five years of when I really went into my dark period. Mm-hmm. And so that feels like a lifetime ago. Right. Um, so I, I really have a soft spot for that time.
0: Same here. Yeah. Yep. So thanks for being a part of that. Mm-hmm. And then your journey continues on. Yes. So one thing that shapes us along our journey is one of my absolute favorite things to talk about and how much time do we have? We'll try to, we'll try to rein it in somewhat, but the Enneagram is just something for me that has been very helpful and growing and healing and restorative and just a lot of really great things have coming, have come out of taking a dive into the Enneagram. And I know that you also have interest and have, um maybe learn some things mm-hmm. in your journey. And so on the Enneagram, where do you feel like you land on the nine types?
1: Well you thought a little bit that I was a four.
0: Yeah. Um
1: and people But often, I think my
0: first my first would be
1: which I'm a seven wing eight. Right. Um people often think I'm a four uh-huh. I think because I'm so weird, which makes it then think maybe that I have like I really care about my identity and how I like present myself but it's more that I just want to have fun. That's my seven. Right. And so <clears throat> being weird and kind of all over the place is,
0: but you're just very in touch with emotion. Yes. Which is
1: the four. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know why. And probably growing up, I would have maybe considered myself more of a four like during my Magnolia period, like my high school years, I was like a mopey son of a bitch. Uh-huh. Uh, so, uh, I would, we would probably on more of the four back then. But no, man, ultimately, I just, <clears throat> when I look at them, a seven, I just avoid pain at all costs. Right. You know, and that's, that was the fun thing. So my, my one friend, Richard Gretzky, who you know, is
0: yes. really
1: into the Myers-Briggs. Yes. Get a coffee again. <clears throat> okay. okay. Uh, milk, some of that dairy. It, it does it in my throat. Lovely. Um, that's
0: really what we're here for. Yeah.
1: So. Yes. Uh, so, Gretzky is really into the Myers Briggs. Yeah. And uh, he and I are the same Myers Briggs ENFP.
0: Okay.
1: Um, and I like it, but I it kind of feels like a nice little pat on the back. Like, oh, cool. You, you have this good thing about you and this good thing about you. And if I, I'm someone who likes to grow, though, right? And so when I read the Enneagram, it's been like three or four years ago, um, it was great because it, it tells you what your greatest fear is. hmm. Which isn't just, that's not a pat on the back. That's a slap on the face. You know, that's. I remember when I read that, you know, you were reading through each fear and like, oh, that one doesn't really resonate. Um, oh, like, you know, the four kind of did resonate where it was like, you fear that you have no identity.
0: Yeah. Right. That's.
1: Oh, you don't that, belong anywhere. Well, I kind of feel that a little yeah. bit. But when I read the seven, which was um, y- y- you're afraid of pain. And for me, it's like emotional pain. It's um, that, that's the weird thing. I'm a weird seven because I do like to go into sad places. I do like to feel, mm-hmm. but only if it. Feels good ultimately, right? I want to grow. W- why the last few years have been so hard is because I was it was like I was going up against a wall, mm. and so that's that wall is pain that I can't get past. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> yeah, as a seven, I would just avoid all pain. And if you say anything that um, for me is painful, I will redirect you and control you and make sure that we don't go there. We're gonna have fun. We're gonna have fun. You're gonna keep it light, right? You're gonna keep it light, right? I'm not, I, I wouldn't say that. But that's what's going on underneath the, you know, the covers. you here
0: for the ride. Right.
1: And, but then I had, that's probably because I was the wing eight. And i very...
0: That's probably really helpful, like, um, running a business. To do what? To just say whenever. Or run from pain. Right.
1: And, and that's where, like, why I'll take 60% of the blame for the relationships that, you know, of, of my, um, my coworkers is that I yeah man can you imagine running a business with somebody who is constantly running away from the things that makes them uncomfortable mm-hmm. yeah like that it's like hurting cats except that cat is paying you and that cat uh is not working uh because it's painful until the last second so you have to be nice but you're also angry and resentful i mean like i completely empathize with people who worked with me right yeah um thankfully all healed um, 90%. Of. Um, but yeah, man, like the Enneagram seven. Um, and then I have the wing eight. So for me, it's been really helpful for me to learn, Oh, I need to face the things that, that are painful. And then also is the wing eight. Um, cause you know, eights are challengers, sevens are enthusiasts. So that with the eight, you know, they, their greatest fear is being controlled. And oftentimes mm-hmm they control others to make sure that they're not controlled Mm -hmm. so that yeah it's been like um i would say fairly transformative um you know that realization is it's cool it's a realization it's the work that goes in after that moment Mm -hmm. when you're like actually trying to change the things that have helped you survive you know and become a healthy version of a a challenger someone who challenges people for Mm -hmm. their sake Mm -hmm. you know or for someone else's sake um as opposed to your sake from from for me to feel safe and then to be an enthusiast who can bring people up, have a really good time, um, but also be willing to not have a good time. Honestly, like, like that's the that that's what I've learned is like there. There's a time for war, a time for peace, a time for life, a time for death. There's a time for um, having all the fun in the world, and there's a time to just Address grit, grit your teeth and, and go into the thing that is not fun at all. Right.
0: Yeah. How do you think? Like. Understanding more about yourself and, and about other people's has like helped you in like your own like personal relationships
1: There were some people that make me uncomfortable actually um, And it was always a certain type of person Then I when I realized the type of person they were I was like, oh And that's why I'm feeling this way around that person hmm. Obviously, I know that it probably frowned upon to diagnose people from far um, like self diagnose them but uh, generally, because it's not something that I go tell them, hey, you're this number and you're making me uncomfortable because you do this. But it would help me contextualize how I was feeling around certain people. Mm-hmm. Um, and to just be like, okay, that's probably what's happening right now. I tend to get triggered by this number. Um, so, like, my mom is a two, right? A two, three. I tend to get triggered by two threes.
0: Okay.
1: Right? Because it reminds me of some Traumers. of the weird stuff from my, yeah, my childhood. Right. Um, and so, so someone who really wants to help you, but they, how I would put it, they really want to help you, but they really want to baby you. They want to make sure that they can help you and they'll kind of force you into mm-hmm. helping you. That would be like the very, very, very dark side of twos. And I've met actually some great twos as well. Um, but yeah, for me, I go when it smells the same, <laughs> ooh, what was what it? Okay. That, that's what I'm feeling right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm feeling uncomfortable. Okay. I just need to like, just Take it slow mm-hmm. and like you know what I'm feeling is just triggered. It doesn't necessarily mean it's them actually. It's just that they're reminding me of the, of the smell from 30 years ago, you know? Whoa.
0: And then it's, I think the Enneagram to me was super helpful in the ways that it kind of was able to put language to health and unhealth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so in being able to like know maybe some of the triggers and then know when I'm going down this path that's unhealthy it's giving some like landmarks for me to be aware pay, and also pay attention
1: the ways in which so with a two because it's my mom and I grew up just me and her for 18 years i have a way that i tend to relate to them i tend to fall into a, a certain pattern of relationship that is unhealthy mm. right and so that i need to be thoughtful of just setting good boundaries for me where i'm not repeating the patterns That I didn't like that I did before, Mm -hmm. you know, so can't think of, uh, I mean, nines frustrate me just because they're so peacemaking. (laughs) Um, and I so value honesty. Um, but like, I don't know. I I generally love all the numbers. I would say twos are the hardest just because of the memory of my, of my mom, who I love, who I love. (laughs) If you're listening
0: (laughs) and then how, how would you see any markers of growth? Like any, um,
1: i was just admitting it. I mean, I just, as you know, again, I have a strong eight wing. I mean, sometimes I'm, I, I would think I'm an eight almost, except for how much fun I like to have. Yeah. Um, I just really believe I can break through any single wall that comes in front of me. And I don't really care about, um, I care logically, but emotionally, I don't care about the collateral damage. Mm-hmm. Right. I will break through the fucking wall.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and that's good when it comes to, as an artist, as a business maker, as a, even being married, like I commit to shit and I will, I'm in it. Deliver. Right. And so even as we're having hell, um, in my business, I'm in it and we're going to make a great film. But for me, it's actually been because I would say that's my more unhealthy spot is my wing eight. It's, um, losing, allowing myself to lose, right? Allow it not like, is a win
0: for you? Yeah. 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 It's Mm -hmm. like, sure.
1: Giving up, Mm -hmm. which is not something that I ever do. Um,
0: And keeping your identity intact and your self-esteem.
1: And it's good for everyone. It's, you know, I'm an intense person. I mean, if anyone has lasted this long, like this is an intense conversation and you know, I'm, I'm intense and it comes from my wing eight, you know, like I'm, Cause I want, cause I really want truth and honesty, you know, at all costs. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, so yeah, it's, and that's and been only see through the bullshit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not interested in the bullshit. No. Unless it's fun. Uh, but, but uh, no, I really like, and I would say just like with the last three months, I've just, and I'm not successful 90% of the time. Um, but at, at giving up, but I really am, I, I barely want to talk about it. I've been talking you know, so right on until this moment. And it's because this is like a brand new thing for me. I don't know how to lose. I don't want to lose. I like, I like to win for everybody. <laughs> I want, you know, and again, my mind is jumbled even thinking about this because it's so, such a foreign concept to let a wall stand up. You know, some walls maybe are meant to, to left, let's let them stand. It's, it's confusing to me because every wall I just want to break. Oh, you know what I mean, Anything that gets in my way, anything that gets in anyone's way, I just want to break it. And so for me, it's like, oh, maybe that's not my wall to break. Uh Like, especially if it's under your agency, Dana, right? If that's your wall, right? That's not my job to break your wall, which is a lot of what I used to do, Mm -hmm. right? I would kind of take the agency from other people and break through their walls for them. Right. And now that was uh, their
0: place to now losing is,
1: oh, I can have power and they can have power. And there are some walls that I'm not supposed to break through. I have to be discerning Mm -hmm. about what I'm supposed to break through. Yeah. That's how I'm growing.
0: I love it. (laughs) I love it. Number one. And two, it's like, I think this tool is like a huge way to have grace Mm -hmm. and then have grace for yourself. So like having self-awareness, I think is incredibly important. Um, Not just for like the, building up of yourself or like the frou-frou or whatever. But the reality of, even with you, like you're somebody who (laughs) like, (laughs) like you like learning the reality of the space that you take up. And that was something that was maybe more foreign to me because people would say things about me that I would say, I don't see that. I don't understand how you say Things about me in this context. And I'm like, I don't see that. And for other people, sometimes you say, like, you know, it's like, it's like a bull in a china shop. They don't know. They're not aware. But they are affecting the space that they're in. Mm -hmm. And so whether you're a high energy person or not, that doesn't matter. It is the awareness that you bring into a space and who you're interacting with to say okay i can like i know like so i can turn it up or i can turn it down out of honor to somebody else and honor to your wife honor Mm -hmm. to the people that you love and not to say that you have to tiptoe around the entire world yeah but especially for people that you care about or in working relationships here's how you might show up and it does matter and it does affect things. And so being able to have grace for yourself in saying, okay, I'm not going to get it perfect every time there will be times that I will mess things up or inadvertently we can, um, maybe be too strong in situations. And then and it's because we had to be strong
1: often we are kids, right? Sure. Our coping mechanisms are, mm-hmm. so I only know how to, um, I have like, uh, it's like those people who work out of the gym and their arms are like the biggest fucking arms and they have no legs. Like like that's my, my gifting of like, you know, taking up a room of breaking through all walls. Mm-hmm. It only had on or off. Right. And off is me having no voice. Right. That's my voice being taken away. So no, it will be on. And so it has been learning with your talents, with your gifts, discernment, mm-hmm. timing, context, mm-hmm. um, and caring about, huh? <laughs> other people more than using your you getting what
0: you want. Yes. Yes. And that's how powerful yeah. that is, right?
1: Well it's it's frustrating in the moment. You know, like it's it is powerful. Because you have to
0: like dial down what yeah. you want.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's yeah. It, it's not fun, mm-hmm. you know, to learn how to limit your you know, what I would call my power, my strength or whatever mm-hmm. you know, but like Again, that's getting married is having kids and learning like, oh, I, I can't just be on all the time. I can't just be breaking through my children, right? Like, they're little humans, and you know, like, they need to be their own kids, and then I can't... Yeah, so... Whoo, it, it has been a journey uh, that I feel like a lot of my friends who know me the like, uh, last 20 years would be like, oh, thank God. Like, he finally learned the thing i was uncomfortable like i loved him but he always made me uncomfortable and like thank god he's finally here
0: yeah
1: and and it really none of my friends could change me Mm -hmm. honestly it doesn't agree. god couldn't change me um my parents couldn't change me having children like changed changed me yeah interesting made me want to change yeah
0: and now here you are.
1: Here I am. And move cross country. That's a wall I broke through, right? <laughs> I use it in the right place uh, during COVID. Yeah. You know, with a wife and two kids jumping off a cliff. But mm-hmm. more joy than I've had in at least 10 years and probably since high school. Sure. Um, it's so good, honestly. Yeah, I really do.
0: That's a good place to be.
1: Yeah.
0: And that is to... It's an interesting dichotomy, right? Of like trying to, we always want to be maybe ideally like moving, growing, challenging, trying to be a better version of ourselves and then also being at peace, peace with ourselves and not striving. Yeah. There's a difference, right? Yeah. And so it's always a process and our beliefs are going to shift along the way and who we are is going to shift along the way. The world is shifting. So they're in keeping that underlying peace throughout it all, right? And that's that's the fight. That's the work is the trusting and the understanding, the peace, um, and the growth to be the best version of ourselves that we can offer to the world mm-hmm. and to other people in that way. Um, so the last topic that we're going to talk about is probably the most favorite of all the ones. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I always love the reactions that I get to this, but, uh, the topic of rest. Yeah. You know? And so how do we retreat, renew, restore, play, discover, what does it look like for us, for us to, you know, like the Sabbath means literally to stop working, which I don't think we do enough. I don't think people talk about it enough. Like America is not great at rest or does not value that but the importance of it is rippling through our world and th- especially through our culture. But what are some of the ways that are practices that you have found to take a step back and renew?
1: Um, uh, this will be my worst question probably. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I, um, you know, it's funny like the last year, a lot of us have, have had probably much more time, yeah. The mover had
0: ever. a hard time.
1: Yeah. Like I used to have this amount of time, like in high school or whatever, but, you know, back when nothing really mattered. But um, <clears throat> but I also, a lot of this time has not felt like rest. Mm. You know, a lot of the last, uh, since COVID started March 2020, now it's July 2021. For me, it has felt uh, very angsty and I felt lost. So it's hard to feel rest when you're lost so we've had a lot of time but it's been a lost it's like if it, it would have probably like if you're lost at sea and like you're just like where you're looking for a plane or you're looking for a, an island mm-hmm. like theoretically you have a lot of time that you can just rest but you don't you're always looking for how do I get out of this situation that's really how it felt a lot the last I guess year and a half now
0: okay
1: um and I wouldn't say that I'm good at rest. Mm-hmm. I'm good at distraction. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like the master, the king of distraction. Mm. Um, but that, I don't necessarily feel restful. I, I just feel giddy or high for a moment when I distract myself. Yeah, so rest, I mean, I felt it a little bit the last few weeks. <laughs> I mean, as I've kind of, I, again, I feel like...
0: Emotionally, have been at rest. Yeah, I feel like
1: this chapter is over and I'm... Again, the sort of thing I talk about, like breaking through walls and being discerning and giving up instead of like learning to give up, that feels restful. A lot of my life, honestly, I mean, I don't know that I've ever really rested. I went to Hawaii, that was very restful. Mm -hmm. Um, but so much of my life is breaking through walls and having to break through them. And that's my identity that that's, again, even having fun, it's not restful. Yeah. So I'm just going in circles. Now. I'm just saying, I don't rest. Um, I, yeah. Cause I always, I have like this, um, need compulsion to always be growing. Mm-hmm. And whether that means in my career or personally, um, my marriage or as a dad or, um, I think I've grown. I feel like I'm a great friend. (laughs) friend, My friendships are like, oh yeah, I don't really have to grow there. But like, yeah, I'm always kind of looking for the next thing that needs to be growing. Um, Almost like a shark who has to swim. Mm
0: -hmm. Stay alive. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, I don't rest well. Mm -hmm. Again, I I distract well. Don't rest well.
0: If you had one 24 hour day off and you could do anything in the world. It could be here, anywhere, money is of no object. If you could just have one day, a dream day, that you'd wake up with people. It could, you could be with you. It could be totally by yourself, you could be here, you could be anywhere. What would like a dream day for John Strong be?
1: You know, um, the day that I, uh, maybe like a few days before I got married in 2010, I had my closest friends all coming to the city I was getting married at and we just spent like two or three days together. That was restful actually. That was it was like a best of hits of all my different times in my life. Mm-hmm. Different friendship groups. And they were all getting to meet for the first time and they all loved me. <laughs> you know what? Honestly, that might be what rest is to me is to feel loved. Hmm. Yeah, because I don't, again, I have this emptiness or whatever in my, my heart that I've been trying to heal for 37 years and it's like I don't, I don't think I actually feel when I'm at rest or I'm sitting still, I don't feel love. I feel maybe neutrality. And so when I think about like, cause what would I do? I'm like, Oh, I bring my, all my best friends into one city. doesn't really matter what city it would be. Yeah. And we would just fuck around and have a great time. And, and like, yeah, it'd be like the ending of a, of a TV series like the a famous TV series. that has been going for 20 years and. Everyone's going to watch the last episode, and we just want to have one last, sh- you know, hurrah with right. our friends from TV. Yeah, I just, yeah, we'll go deep. But like, we haven't been going deep. I, I think rest is love, is feeling loved. And that, and that doesn't mean that I need to, like, get love from other people, theoretically. Mm-hmm. To be God or for myself, I don't really know what the answer is, where, where to get the love from. But feeling known. And knowing other people with that same level of knowing, like, where you're just, they, they can be the worst version of themselves, the best version of themselves, and you love them fully and you feel the same from them. That's rest. Everything else is work. And that's my whole life is looking for how to get that, hmm. how to, how to feel that level of love all the time. But that's, that's rest to me. It's just pure love.
0: Being around people that you feel loved by. Yeah.
1: yeah. And that I love. Mm-hmm. No words need to be spoken. You just sit. We can, you know, we have all our old jokes, right? But you can just sit and do nothing. And just
0: mm-hmm. That's in. really, that's so powerful. Yeah. When you're with people that you don't have to communicate all the time. Yeah. It's the level of like comfortability and shared love and emotion. It's like, Gold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we only get a handful of those in our lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. And you cherish those people. Love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. So they fill us up to be who we are in the world.
1: Yeah. I'm feeling it all right now. Yeah. Just like, oh, yeah, that's what... I forgot that that's what life is about. hmm just being known.
0: Just being, yeah. Known, fully seen, and then loved on top of that.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, if you look at, you know, I said that I had this identity, like, my identity cracked, like, in a very traumatic way back in 2012. And it was wanting to be loved or whatever by, by my films, to bring it full circle. You know, what is being famous about? To large extent, it's about being known by everybody. Right? Like, we both know Tom Cruise's. We We've never met him. Most of the world knows who Michael Jordan, Tom Cruise are, mm-hmm. and they want to be known. But really, so I wanted that. I wanted to be known mm-hmm. like that. But really what I wanted was to be known, like known, yeah. like like one-on-one mm-hmm. person. And so my personality, maybe a lot of people with Instagram and TikTok and everything, we want to be known, but we really want to be known, yeah. right? And that's maybe my life story at this point, mm-hmm. currently, age thirty-seven, is going from known in caps, all caps, to known in you know, font size to uh, italicized and very small. I want to be known. Mm-hmm. I want to be known.
0: And that is like the most fulfilling of like anything that we can achieve. Yeah. Yeah. That's the good stuff of life and love. Um, as we wrap up, do you have any M.O.s or life mantras that you kind of live by? Words of oh wisdom God. you share?
1: I mean, I've, I've shared so much life wisdom.
0: Clearly. Um, I know. Everyone's taking notes.
1: Um. No, I really don't. My, I, my mantras change weekly because yeah, I'm always growing. I'm always looking for like, what's the next ladder? Up the rung was let so have, mantras would be a ladder or a rung on the ladder, rung on the ladder. And then as I go to the next one, I forget about the last one. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, um, yeah, I don't really have any life mantras. I mean, I like Jesus. That's kind of okay. is, that, is that a mantra? Like whether I'm angry or sad or happy or whatever, like he's whatever. Just a, a, a ladder rung that has always been there, mm-hmm. but really no, no, no mantras. Okay.
0: If folks wanted to find you on the interweb, mm-hmm. um, slash social media, how would they keep up to date with what you're doing?
1: Um, yeah, I have, uh, Insta. Um, I make really good Insta stories. Uh, it's my claim to fame other than uh, my career. And uh, so my name is John Strong. It's J-O-N. So J-O-N. John Strong lives. Lives. Mm -hmm. Um, And then my website, which has not been updated in a long time, is strongfilms.com. Strongfilms with an S.com. And then I'm in L.A. If anyone ever hears this who's in L.A., I would love to hang. Love making friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: that's about it. Yeah. Beautiful. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for spending some time with me yeah sharing some stories
1: great to see you
0: likewise thanks for having me and until next time okay yeah it's been great
1: adios adios
0: thank you a million times over for listening to cocktails and conversation podcast i hope you have enjoyed all of it if you have would you do me a huge favor and rate comment and subscribe for more cocktails and conversation